Hey, this is Junior Ziegler. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope this time in God's Word encourages you. Hope it brings you closer to God. Hope it challenges your perspective. Glad you're joining. Enjoy the message. According to a recent survey, over 90% of people are living with regret. Over 90%. Are you in that 90%? I am. And there are moments in my past, memories that make me cringe when I think about them. In high school, there, there was this uh, new girl that started coming to our school. I went to a very small school, and uh, this girl shows up, and you could tell she was not going to be Miss Popular. I mean, she's very, very nice, very kind, just not in style. You know, she wore big glasses. Uh, her shoes were about three sizes too big, to the point where they would, like, curl up on the ends. They, they were too big. Uh, she had a, a, a big mole on her cheek, and and one of her first days at school, it may have been her first day at this school, but one of the first days at school, a guy said to me, loud enough for her to hear, he said, I, I bet the mole on her cheek keeps her glasses from falling off her face, and she should put bells on the end of her shoes like elves have. And I didn't say anything. I should have. I didn't laugh, but like a coward, I, I, I was just silent. And that afternoon, I found out, uh, just weeks before this, her mom had, had passed away. And a rough year for this girl at a very tough age. And then goes to a new school and gets poked fun at. And how did she go home that night? You know, mom wasn't there to console her and I didn't do anything about it. I, 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 hate, I hate that memory. And after that happened, I was really good to this girl and, and I befriended her. But I regret how we met. I should have said something, but I didn't. And that's not my only regret, though. I, I've said things to my wife I should have never have said, especially when we were first married, trying to figure out this whole marriage and, and living together thing. And, and there were words that I've said that I wish I could take back. I've lost friends I should have never have lost because I was just being critical. I, I, was, I was being selfish. There are moments uh, with my daughters that I hope they never remember because I, I don't want them to remember their dad being an idiot. Like, I regret those, those moments. I don't know about you, but, but there are memories that, that I have that I wish I could just go back in time and, and change, you know. I, I wish I could go back and, and, and tell my friend to shut up when he was running his mouth. I, I, I wish I could go back and, and put certain words back into my mouth. Things that I wish I, I could go back and undo. And I know I'm not in the boat alone because over 90% would say the same thing. And I talk to that 90% all the time. They, they come into the church to, to meet. You I talk with people who you know, have had affairs they wish they never would have had, wrecked families in their past, lost jobs, alienated relationships. Hey, come on, forget the 90% for a second. I think at some level, 100% of us are there, right? At some level, we're all there. And to make it worse, those past experiences that we have, those memories, those regrets, have this really strong pull on us, don't they? Like past relational regrets can, can keep us, can pull us from having good relationships today. Regrets in our past can keep us from pursuing God. Some of us feel like we can't get too close to God because of what we have in our past. Like this is a big deal, isn't it? What do we do with our regrets? Mark chapter 14 is where we find ourselves today. Mark chapter uh, 14. Uh, grab a Bible, whether it's on your, uh, on your you know, bookshelf or on your end table. We're all doing this together, but Mark chapter 14. We're spending a few weeks looking at this one night in Scripture. Now, we've been looking at one week in Scripture for several weeks now. And now we're zeroing, zeroing in even more on that one night. 
And as we saw last week, that night started with Passover. And today we'll see this night turn dark, resulting in two disciples having two huge regrets. Two guys, two regrets. One guy becomes the son of perdition, a name that lives in infamy, a name nobody wants to be called, a Judas. The other guy with the regret becomes the rock of the church, a popular name that people still name their children today, Peter. Two guys with massive regrets from tonight, but two very different outcomes. And as we'll see, the difference isn't their sin. Their sin is similarly terrible. The difference wasn't their sin. The difference is something else. This is big. Let me, let me pray before we jump in. Father, I, I thank you so much that, that your word pulls no punches, and we'll see that today. God, I, I thank you that um, through, the, through the writings of Mark, but really the eyes of Peter, we have uh, this text where Peter shares this big regret that he has this night. So God, I pray that you speak to us. Because some of us, a lot of us, maybe even all of us who are tuned in right now, Father, have some big regrets that are really keeping us from a closer relationship with you. I pray that today, right now, changes that that we see you for who you are. And so God, please speak to us for your listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms in on, on verse 18, we find Jesus and the disciples where we left them, in the upper room. From the street below, you can hear the laughing upstairs or joking around, the periodic jesting be- between friends. And, and as we enter the room, you can see this laid-back atmosphere in the upper room. You know, like any good Passover meal, the food and the drinks are, are bountiful. The, the disciples are stuffed. They're, they're satisfied. And the dimly lit flickering lamps and light dancing on, on the walls. A periodic breeze sweeps through the windows. And the streets outside are empty. For Jerusalem, it, it feels a little bit eerie in that sense. They're, they're all empty. It's Passover in Jerusalem. Houses all down the street glow with families eating together. This upper room, though, this, this is a nice place to be. It's hidden. It's, it's away from the crowds that have followed these guys all week long. It's, this upper room is like an oasis, an, an island of friends in this sea of darkness. And the conversation at the table turns serious, and Mark brings us into the conversation. Look at this. As they were reclining at a table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful. This shocks the room. Betrayal. This word shocks the room. You think about it. These last three years that we've been studying, that we've been tracking these guys, these guys have been a band of brothers. Right? They're, they're sticking together. When the religious crew came, they, they sparred together shoulder to shoulder when people would rush Jesus, they had each other's backs during, during crowd control. And at this point in time, everybody at the table, all the disciples know, they, they have a price on their heads. They, they've had each other's backs. Like, sure, they argue, but when push comes to shove, they banded together. And now there's a betrayer in the midst at the table. And they'll later learn that it's Judas, the, the last person, they think, the last person. And so often we, we think of Judas, you know, we think of like beady little eyes and a long crooked nose, you know, a sharp tail that kind of pops out of his cloak. You know, while all the disciples are wearing like beige, he's wearing all black. 
which I guess <laughs> I'm wearing today. But when you think of that, you know, all the disciples are wearing beige and he's wearing all black and he kind of follows them around. <laughs> you know, that wasn't Judas. They trusted Judas with the money. Judas was like a CPA. I mean, if you were here with us today, he'd be like sporting khakis and a polo. Mr. Vanilla, you know, straight laced. He's like Jerry Gergich on Parks and Rec, you know, khakis and sweater vest, Moses lawn and those dad's New Balance shoes. You know, give that guy the money to hold on to. He ain't dangerous. He's like one step away from a fanny pack. Like Judas is the last guy that they would think. So much so that when Judas leaves later on, when Judas leaves the group later on, John tells us the disciples thought he was just going to help the needy. Like they didn't go, hmm, Jesus just said one of them is going to, somebody's going to betray him, and now Judas leaves. They didn't even connect that. They just thought, oh, you know, Judas, he's probably gone off to do something good for the poor. You know, good old Judas. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread in the dish with me. Now, I always wondered about this because most likely they're all dipping bread in the dish. They're, they're all dipping the bread with Jesus. And not like Jesus, you're not really narrowing down the suspects here because we're all dipping bread with you. It never really made sense to me, but, but I did a little bit more study on this uh, this week, and I found out that this was the sign of honor. To dip bread in the dish with the host, that was an honor. And so Judas, who just got his feet washed earlier, it's not in Mark, but it's in the other Gospels, Judas, who just got his feet washed by Jesus, is now dipping bread with Jesus. It's this sign of honor, but it's also attached to this prophecy of betrayal. In a way, it's, it's one last chance that Jesus is giving Judas, saying without saying, you know, I, I, you've already made your plans, Judas, I know, but I'm honoring you. I'm not going to hold this against you. It's not too late to turn back. And then later when Judas did show up in the garden to arrest Jesus, and we'll talk about that more next week, do you know what, how Jesus refers to Judas when Judas betrays him? Matthew says that Jesus looks at Judas after the kiss, and when he's being arrested, calls him friend. Friend. He's trying to get Jesus, Judas to turn back to God. Judas, repent, turn back, which Judas doesn't do. Matthew tells us that when, uh, when Jesus is sentenced to death, Judas feels this, this huge remorse. He feels terrible, this big regret. He gives the money back that, that he was paid to betray Jesus, and then he goes and he hangs himself. Acts gets pretty gory and tells us that at some point, um, Judas's rope that he was hanging from broke or the tree branch snapped, and Judas's body fell to the ground, spilling out his intestines. Aren't you glad you signed on for church this morning to hear that? But Judas has a big regret, and his remorse drives him to despair away from God. And you know the feeling, don't you? Yeah, you didn't sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but there's that thing. You know, that night, that, that conversation, that, that situation, that relationship, and it pulls at you, and it reminds you that your hands, they're just too dirty to worship, and when God sees you worshiping, he just sees that sin, that felony, that one-night stand, that season of your life. That's what God sees when you worship, and, and we believe it, and so maybe, you know, you, you sign into church, 
You try your best to put on saving face when you're around church people and you know you sing as much as you can and try to block out that memory. But come on, it is so hard to go into church, to sing, to give, to listen to a sermon without the enemy reminding you of that. That one situation, that big regret. And just when you feel like you feel good about your walk with God, that regret surfaces and it's like it pulls you back. And reality is, come on, reality is that regret is keeping you at a distance from God, isn't it? Well, we should follow Peter tonight, too, because Peter's story may just be what we need. Let's rewind the story once more. It's after dinner. The empty baskets and cups are strewn across the table. Judas leaves. The disciples think nothing of it. Instead, they all file out the door. As they get out the door, they can see the stars litter the night sky. They follow Jesus down the stairs into the quiet streets, and Jesus begins walking toward the south gate. They follow in the darkness, remaining quiet. As they walk through the streets, they walk past window after window that is filled with picturesque scenes of family reunions getting together to eat Passover meals, and they're all relaxing. Tonight is no night to relax. The enemy will strike, and soon. And now, without the city near them, as they're all out of earshot from Jerusalem, Jesus turns to them and says this, Judas is gone. And Jesus said to the remaining of them, the eleven of them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. It's at this point Peter then argues, no, 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 no. I'm ride or die. These cats may all scurry off, not me. I'm ride or die, Jesus. And Jesus just kind of lets it go. He's not going to reason with Peter. So moving on, they enter into the garden. Jesus prays. The disciples fall asleep. Again, we'll look at that more closely next week. But later that night, Jesus is arrested. SWAT team is there. The temple guard is there. There's weapons. Jesus is handcuffed. Peter is standing there knowing, I just promised ride or die to Jesus, so I got to do something. He grabs his sword and he attacks the one person we know for a fact was unarmed. Hmm, everybody's got a weapon. This guy doesn't, though. I got this guy. That's embarrassing enough, but the regret gets much worse Peter cuts the guy's ear off. I don't even know how that happened. It must have been like a Matrix move, you know. And Peter snags this, the ear. He's a fisherman. He's not a swordsman. And Jesus puts the ear, the guy's ear back on like a, like a Lego block, you know. And then Jesus is led away to six trials. And there stands Peter in the garden. Most of the disciples take off that way, just like Jesus said they would. And they've taken Jesus this way. And Peter stands there with his bloody sword, watching the torches lead Jesus back into the south gate and into the city. And Peter's standing there going, what do I do? 
John tells us that Peter follows at a distance. He, Peter doesn't run off just yet. He follows at a distance. I mean, you got to give Peter credit. You know, he's trying. You can tell there's this war going on inside of Peter. He wants to do the right thing, but he's scared. You know, he promised Jesus ride or die, but the best thing that he's come up with so far is an ear. And so he'll follow at a distance, and he'll live a paragraph from the Bible that he'll wish wasn't in there. Here's that paragraph. Verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, now I want you to picture this because Mark is painting the scene. Too often we just read the Bible without thinking much. So let's, let's really think about this. Let's picture the scene. Jesus is inside the building. Peter is down a few stairs in the courtyard below. You can see Peter pacing deep in thought. He, he's, he's wrestling. He's thinking, I, I can't go in. That would just be falling on my sword. They'll arrest me right away. What good does that do? But I can't leave altogether. I promised I wouldn't. I said ride or die. And he looks up and he can see, he sees Jesus in the building inside, in the dimly lit building. Around Peter are charcoal fires that pepper the courtyard to people standing around, kind of warming themselves. themselves. And so Peter decides they'll stay by one of these fires and, and just watch Jesus as closely as I can. Let me read this to you. Picture this scene. I'm not going to put it on the screen. Just, just picture, picture what's going on here. It says this. As Peter was below in, in the courtyard, one of the servant girls, of the high priest, came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. The servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man was one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. The original wording um, shows that Peter doesn't just invoke a curse on himself, though that pagan ritual would be bad enough, but he begins cursing, uh, using, illicit, uh, using explicit language in order to prove that he's not a disciple. He's cursing and he's denying. And then Mark writes this, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Luke, the, the gospel writer Luke, tells us that in this very moment, as soon as the rooster crowed the second time, silent Jesus inside looked up and looked outside, and his eyes met Peter. Oh, feel that. Still red in the face from cursing and denying Jesus, and Jesus looks right at him. How would you feel? Heart sinks, face grows flush. He is broken to the core as he should be. That moment that Jesus looked at him, that memory, that feeling, Peter wishes he could erase from his memory. And we've been there, or are there, that, that paralyzing shame that keeps us at a distance from Jesus. You know, we think, I want Jesus, I want to be close to Jesus, but I can't get too close because I have this in my past, because of that night, because of that relationship. And Judas felt that. And now we got Peter feeling that too. Well, if you flip over two chapters, if you're, we're in Mark chapter 14, but flip over two chapters to, to Mark chapter 16. Um, 
After they, after they kill Jesus and, and Jesus rises from the dead, oh, I should have said spoiler alert. If you, didn't, if you didn't know that, I am so sorry. Jesus dies, he comes back. It's pretty fantastic. It means that hell is not our only option. It's a pretty big deal. But, uh, but after Jesus comes back, um, there's this angel at the tomb. So the tomb is empty, an angel is at the tomb, and some women followers of Jesus come to anoint Jesus' body. And then this happens. You've got to see this. In fact, I'll put this up here on the screen. You've got you to see this. And maybe you've never caught this before, but this is beautiful. It says, and he, meaning the angel, so the angel at the empty tomb, said to them, the women who came to anoint Jesus' body, the angel said to the women, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Now look at this. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. What does he say? Go tell his disciples and Peter. If this wasn't added, you know Peter wouldn't have gone. You know Peter wouldn't have shown up. I mean, would you? You think about that. The the, the women, they they ran from the tomb to deliver the message to the disciples. They could not run fast enough to tell the disciples. Finally, they reached the house out of breath. Jesus, gone, risen. He wants to see you guys. And without and Peter, I don't know if Peter would have gotten up. Pete, you coming? You guys don't know what happened that night. You should have seen his face. The, the words that he said, the look on his face. I can't. Go without me. Uh, Pete, you're, you're the only one mentioned by name. What? Yeah, sorry to the rest of you guys, but the angel said, tell the disciples, oh, and Peter. Why? Why? Because just as Jesus washed Judas's feet, just as Jesus dipped bread with Judas, just as Jesus called Judas friend, just as Jesus beckoned Judas back, so Jesus is beckoning Peter back, regrets and all. And Peter. We have this, uh, the end of the story, two books later, it's my favorite scene in Scripture now the disciples head back, to, head back to Galilee, and they're not quite sure what they're supposed to do. Jesus told them to, to meet Jesus back in Galilee, so they get back up to Galilee. They're not quite sure what to do, so they go back to what they know to do, fishing. And early one morning, they're out on a boat, and the sun rises over the ridge, you know, rays of light shoot into the sky, and an orange hue bounces off the lake, and there's Jesus on the beach, and he's standing next to a campfire. And the disciples are out in the boat. They don't know it's Jesus. It's this, it's this beautiful scene in Scripture. I'm going to read it to you in just a second. But it's this beautiful scene in Scripture. And Jesus calls out and he says, you guys catch any fish? No. And then Jesus says something to them that he said to them when he met them. And with a smile, he yells back, well, well, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And as soon as they realize that's Jesus, you know what Peter does? He jumps into the water to swim to Jesus. Oh, Peter has regrets. 
Faith is wet, no doubt. Not so much from the lake, but from the tears streaming down his face as he flails as hard as he can to get to Jesus. And as soon as the disciples get to shore, they notice that Jesus has this fire going, a campfire, burning coals. Not to roll the disciples in, though that would be fitting. What's this, Jesus? It's a taste of hell. Everybody lay down. You left me when I needed you the most. No, Jesus has a charcoal fire going for them. John's very specific when he writes about this. A charcoal fire going. Matthew tells us that it was a charcoal fire that Peter was in front of when he denied Jesus. Last time Peter was in front of a charcoal fire, Peter was cursing and denying Jesus. And now there's Jesus again, and there's a charcoal fire again. Do you think that was like a trigger for Peter? you think the smell brought him back? Smells have a way of doing that, don't they? Bringing you back. I, you know, I can't smell leather without thinking of when I was little, and I would, my dad had a motorcycle, and I would ride on the back, and remember gripping his leather jacket, and my face being smushed up into his leather jacket. Anytime I smell leather now, I just think of, I, I think of riding on the motorcycle with my dad. You think that smell of the charcoal fire brought that memory back for Peter? And Jesus walks up to him and says, Hey, why don't you warm yourself up? Dry off by the fire. Let's have breakfast. I got fish cooking. And what did Peter feel? What was going through his mind? (sighs) Last time I was by a charcoal fire, I denied. I cursed. Last time I sat by a charcoal fire, he looked at me, and I'll never forget that look. John records conversation this way. When they had breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Why is Peter grieved? Because the last time Peter was asked the same question for the third time, it was that night of regret. And Jesus is doing something here. Peter, I want you to feel the charcoal fire again. I want you to smell the smoke again. I want you to answer the same question three times again. And I want you to look into my eyes again. Not so that you feel the pain again. Not so that you can relive your regret. But so that you can understand my grace extends there as well. Yes, you have regret, I know. But because of what I did that night too, we can move forward together. Jesus goes right to the wound. So what he does, not not to stir the pain, but to heal the source. That's incredible. Two different guys, two different stories, two regrets, two very, very different outcomes. The trajectory of Judas and Peter is fascinating. Very different outcomes. And the difference wasn't the sin. And the difference wasn't how they felt. They both felt awful. They both had remorse. The difference was what they did with their regret. And that should make us question what we do with ours. Because we have our nights. 
We have words we wish we could take back, relationships we wish we could erase, seasons of life that make us cringe, names, faces, nights that, 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 that make us want to go back and change everything. We got regret. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Well, two takeaways from this night of regret, two quick takeaways. Number one, repentance is more than just remorse. And this is, this is big. I, I think many people miss this. Repentance is more than just remorse remorse. Judas and Peter both felt remorse. Only one repented. This is why the breakfast scene in scripture is such a big deal. The sun is rising. Peter's sitting there sopping wet, sitting by the fire that Jesus made. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Jesus is, 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 is pushing this point. Repentance, repentance, repentance. I want you to repeat. I, I want you, Pete. I know that night is something you wish you could go back and just erase from your memory. Peter, it is what it is, but don't let that keep you away from me. Let that regret make you run harder to me. And I wonder if Jesus is saying the same thing to you. You got remorse. And you've been sitting in it for too long. What about repentance? Has there there been that moment where you've allowed your remorse to drive you to confession and repentance? Have you drugged that out into the open, recognized it, apologized about it, confessed it? Because that is the catalyst for regret. And and maybe you're thinking, well, okay, I I get that, but Peter never confessed. Well, I beg to differ. Think about it this way. How many disciples were around the fire in the courtyard that night? One. Now, John got Peter in, but they eventually went their separate ways. One disciple was by the fire that night. How many disciples heard what the servant girl said to Peter? One. How many disciples heard Peter's answer? One. How many disciples heard Peter curse? One. Yet multiple gospel writers include it in this story, which means that Peter was an open book about this night later on. When we started the series, we, we, uh, we talked about how Mark is likely writing this through the eyes of Peter, that Mark is recording this for Peter. So Peter is telling us this story. Now, I don't know about you, but if I ever wrote an autobiography, which I, I won't, nobody would want to read that, but if I ever wrote a story about my life, yeah, I'd be vulnerable at, at, you know, at, at some parts, but there, were da- there are days in my life that I would leave out of my autobiography. Peter doesn't do that, though. It's like Peter confesses to everybody. Peter's an open book about that one night. Why? Because Peter is trying to help me and help you with our regrets. Now, Peter's not proud of it. Oh, hey, look at me. I'm super B.A. I'm a bad Christian, bro. I'm like the worst disciple. Check me out. I'm B.A. Now, Peter's not like that. But he's open about it because that's what repentance does. No more hiding, no more masking it, no more trying to forget it. After repenting, Peter sees that night of regret as a night that is covered by the blood of Jesus. And instead of feeling shame, Peter feels this gratefulness for that forgiveness and that grace of Jesus Christ. That's what repentance does. It frees you. Now remorse is natural. We should feel remorse on the front end. But if we stay in remorse, if we do nothing with remorse, it's just going to keep us distant from God. Which is why repentance is key. Second and last takeaway from that night of regret is this. God's push is stronger than your past pull. 
God's push is stronger than your past pull. Segments of our past, segments of our history have pulls on us, don't they? Some of us can never really feel like we're doing well with God because we got something that we got into in our past, and our past pulls us. Some of us can never really feel happy because anytime we start to feel happy, it's like we remember that one thing we remember we don't deserve to be happy. Our past pulls us from what God has for us. Jesus went to the cross to push you past your past. Your past doesn't own you. God does. He paid the price for you. Knowing your rap sheet, he bought you anyway. God's push is stronger than your past. And I wonder how often God watches us with his heart breaking because we're sitting in our past, imprisoned by our remorse, paralyzed by our shame, feeling we don't deserve to get closer to God. And God says, no, 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 no. I bought you. Yeah, you got a past, but I bought you. And the precious blood of Jesus Christ is no match for the prison that your past has put you in. How often do we forget that man, God is our dad? And a good dad never wants to see their kids stay down. It's like when, I, when my daughter started walking. You ever watch a kid start walking? It's, it's hilarious. You know, they're all like wobbly. It's like their heads, you know, are, are, are too heavy. I remember my, watching my girls walk for the first time, you know, and then, and then they'd bite it after a few steps. And you know what I did not do in that moment? <laughs> Idiot, you'll never learn. You, got, you get that from your mom. I, that's your mom's genes. I come from a family of walkers. You're going to have to run a marathon tomorrow to make this up to me. Of course not. I, I got down with him and I said, hey, let's try again. God is our perfect father and repentance gives us this opportunity to enjoy God's push and not stay down. Because God's push is stronger than your past pull. Let's not just know this. Let, let's own this. No more hiding, no more cringing, no more hoping people never ask about what happened there. We are an imperfect people bought by a perfect God, and we can champion that. See, the truth is, the truth is, and I think you know this, the truth is the enemy wants to use your past against your future. And you felt this, right? Peter, Peter felt this. Don't you think any time before Peter got up to preach, because Peter did a lot of preaching after this, don't you think any time Peter got up to preach, the enemy reminded him of that night cursing in the courtyard and denying Jesus? I think about in Acts, uh, Peter gets up to preach in the same area where he denied Jesus. The same area. You think about that. What had to go through his mind before he got up to preach in front of thousands in front of that area? Oh, I bet the enemy was in his ear. Hey, remember what happened here? Remember what you did here? Remember that night? Remember how Jesus looked at you that night? And now you're going to preach here? But Acts says Peter got up, and Luke says he proclaimed boldly. He proclaimed boldly about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter had this boldness, a confidence, because he knew, yeah, the enemy wants to use my past against my future, but God wants to use your past for other people's future. And God has bought me, and this push is stronger, so I'm going forward, and I'm riding God's push forward. I know you got that night, that season, that relationship, that memory, those words you've said, it's embarrassing, they've been trying to forget it, but think about it this way, your experience 
and your journey to repentance and forgiveness, your story, your past, may just be the inspiration somebody needs for their future. I think of uh, so many people in our church, so many people in our church with rough backgrounds, big regrets, who are now mentoring others, leading step studies in our, in our recovery programs, counseling, going through, uh, going through grief share together. Just like Peter, they're using their past to help other people with their futures. And that is the grace of God. That is God's plan. Don't let the enemy use your past against your future. Instead, you ride God's push and you allow God to push you past your past, to push you further toward God, further into his work. God's grace is far more powerful than your past. So the question becomes, so what? What does this mean for you? What are you going to do with your regret? And you'll make this decision right now. You have that regret. It's been popping up in your head. You know. Now what are you going to do with it? You know, you're going to just sign off in a little bit here and just go back throughout your day trying to forget about that regret anytime it surfaces in your mind. You won't forget it. You know, it'll just drive you deeper and deeper into despair. But you can try. It's not going to work, but you can just try to forget about your regret. Or you can choose Peter's way. Repentance, drag it into the open, address it, and trust that God's grace will do something far more than you could ever imagine. So the question I just want to throw your way before we end this is, what's your next step? What's your next step? You got the regret. What are you going to do with it? This might mean a confession, uh, which is going to hurt. Just coming out into the open and confessing. Uh, this might mean an apology. This could mean writing a, a letter to somebody and apologizing for, for what happened in, in the past. This could just mean like submission to God's plan for your life. You've been resisting God's plan for your life because you've just felt like you're not good enough, and and you're not, but Jesus has bought you, and because of what Jesus has done, you are able to take God's plan for your life, even though you don't deserve it. Maybe this means getting into counseling. Maybe this means getting into a recovery group at our church. Maybe this means getting into marriage counseling. What's your next step? Do what Peter did. Take that next step. God's push is stronger than your past pull. Don't just sit in remorse. Go to repentance and experience the freedom that God wants for your life. Father, I thank you so much for for just that, that I can even preach this, that this is in your word. God, I thank you so much for forgiveness. Just as Jesus gave Peter something he didn't deserve, a breakfast and a a tough discussion, but a, a discussion that led Peter to feel that freedom and move forward with boldness. God, so many of us need that right now. And so God, I ask that your word today, what we just read, may that be the catalyst for some of our relationships with you. That with some of this regret that we have, God, may, may we not just sit in remorse, but may we, may we may remorse drive us to repentance and closer to you, knowing and understanding that your push is stronger than our past pull. Uh, You want to use our past to help other people's future. God, I thank you so much for that grace. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.